Let's take a moment and pray before we turn our attention to the scriptures. Heavenly Father, thank you for making yourself known through Psalm 23, the promise that because you are our shepherd, we shall not want. Thank you for the ability to turn that promise into a prayer that we could sing and voice, not just in our minds, but with our bodies, express to you our need of your goodness. Lord, show your goodness to us now as we hear the Scriptures, as we listen to them read, as we reflect more deeply on them. Lord, show us your goodness and convince us that we won't need anything as we come to know you. We shall not want. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, We've been meditating for several weeks now on what it means to grow in our calling to share good news about Jesus with others. If we're going to be uh, bold in learning how to do this, one of the things that we have to do is discover freedom to engage our neighbors, freedom to engage the world around us, freedom to engage our culture. So we're going to return this morning to a passage that we read last week, Acts chapter 17. The, the reason is uh, we see all of this modeled so well in this scripture passage. Remember the Apostle Paul has been making a, a preaching tour of the Mediterranean basin. He's come to Greece and to the city of Athens. He's been in the marketplace talking about Jesus. He's been in the synagogues opening the scriptures and pointing to how they were fulfilled in Jesus. And then a group of philosophers invite him to walk to the top of a hill. We saw this picture last week. The, the closest hill in the picture is known as Mars Hill or the Areopagus, the Hill of Ares. And it's where a local council met to approve of changes to the culture of the city of Athens. They thought Paul was talking about new gods and maybe a new goddess named Resurrection. And uh, so they wanted to hear what he had to say. As we read again this passage, we'll, we'll hear the freedom that we have in Christ to engage the culture in which he has placed us while still honoring him as Lord. And in fact, it is the Lordship of Jesus that gives us the freedom to engage our neighbors, to engage the world around us, to engage the culture where he has placed us. Let's listen for that freedom in Christ, Acts chapter 17. Jim Wirt is going to read our scripture text today. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God 
who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes freedom scares us. I remember being part of a wedding several years ago. and At the wedding, uh, the couple had chosen for a particular song to be sung. It was a song by a songwriter named Michael Card. The song is called Joy in the Journey. Some of you may remember it. There's this uh, lovely line where it, it sings about a wonder and wildness to life. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light you can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life. Whoa, stop everything right there. During the rehearsal, one of the leaders of the wedding ceremony heard that phrase, wonder and wildness to life, and said, no, we can't sing that. We can't sing that at a wedding, a Christian wedding, in a Christian church, a Christian worship service. We can't sing about wildness. So afraid that people might go wild that we wouldn't even sing about it. In that case, the idea of too much freedom was scary. Well, at the other end of the spectrum, go, go read an article about music censorship and see what you find. I, I did a search this week. First article that came up had this sentence in it. Music censorship is an act of repression. So on the one hand, you've got, you've got this kind of Christian bubble where we're so afraid of wildness that we can't even sing about it. 
On the other hand, we live in a world where most people are convinced that nothing is so wild that you shouldn't sing about it. And in that case, the idea of having too little freedom is scary. It's oppressive. Do you hear the fear on both ends of that spectrum? It's because it's because that fear, no matter which end we gravitate toward, it's based on the same assumption. It is up to us to set the parameters for freedom. Whoever sets the parameters for freedom is in charge, and, and if they set them too loosely, there will be too much freedom. There might be wildness. If the person in charge sets the parameters in too narrow a way, it will restrict our freedom. It will take away my freedom, oppression. If someone else, well, the biblical word would be if someone else is Lord, if someone else sets the parameters for proper freedom, then I'm afraid there might be too much of it or too little of it. I can't trust someone else to be Lord. But the scripture says to us that Jesus is the Lord. And and he sets us free from those fears so that we have real freedom to engage. Real freedom to engage people. Real freedom to engage with ideas. Real freedom to engage in deep conversations. Real freedom to take part in the world that God has made. Real freedom to engage our culture. We won't do that in a healthy way unless we first embrace the good news that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is a life-giving Lord. We'll unpack that idea from our scripture text this morning and we'll see that because he's a life-giving Lord, we have freedom to engage the world that he's made. And it's this world that's vast and all kind of variety. And he gives us the freedom under his lordship to engage it. I want want us to look at how Jesus' lordship relates to all things and then all nations. And and then we want to take a deeper look at how the lordship of Jesus helps us to engage a particular example from our culture right now. Let's start here with the truth that Jesus is the Lord who is bringing all things under God's life-giving rule. I'm going to read some snippets from verses 24 and 25 again. It tells us that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And then it tells us at the end of verse 25 that this God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God has a life-giving design. Do you hear that? He gives life. God has a life-giving purpose and design for the world and everything in it. But as we listen to the Apostle Paul, that, whom Jesus called to be his spokesman and ambassador, messenger, Jesus says through Paul in verse 30 that now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Well, that's because we've stepped away from that life-giving design that God has for the world and everything in it. But now, through Jesus, 
that can be restored. That's the good news of this message from Acts chapter 17. God's life-giving design is good. We've departed from it, but through Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, verse 31 says, everything that is broken can be restored. Jesus is bringing all things back underneath God's life-giving rule. His resurrection from the dead is our strongest affirmation of that promise. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we have freedom to engage a wide range of cultural pursuits. If Jesus is the Lord over everything, bringing everything, the world and everything in it, back under God's life-giving rule, then we have freedom to engage in all of human culture. I'm defining culture here, uh, leaning on a book by Andy Crouch called Culture Making. Culture as all the ways that human beings shape and interact with the world. That's culture. So on the one hand is nature, there's what God makes, and then there's culture, how God uses us to shape the world that he has made. And we have freedom because of Jesus to engage a wide range of cultural pursuits. And so in this text, you see the Apostle Paul having conversations with philosophers. He's digging into philosophy. You see him quoting Greek poets, literature, poetry. Those poets lived several centuries before he did. One of them five centuries previous. One of them third century BC. So Paul is engaging in history, reaching back across the centuries to study what others have said and written beforehand as he quotes in verse 28, two different ancient Greek poets. Paul has studied rhetoric, how to make good arguments, how to deliver good persuasive speeches. If you read through this speech, you understand that. That was a primary discipline in the training and education of Paul's day. He's, of course, having conversations about religion, but those involve looking at art, looking at sculptures that are placed throughout the city of Athens, looking across the city and seeing temples, art, sculpture, architecture. What signals do they send about what people believe and hold important? He's having a conversation about justice. He says in verse 31, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And Paul affirms the importance of the physical world and bodily life when he says, God has raised Jesus from the dead. He's talking before the Areopagus, this council. He's engaged in local politics. He was hanging out in the Agora, the marketplace. That's economy. He's speaking Greek, even though he grew up speaking Hebrew. He's engaged in learning language. And he talks about how God has set the boundaries of the dwelling places of every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Geography. Did you get the point? That just in this one little snippet of the history of response to Jesus... We see that because Jesus is the Lord over everything, we have this calling, this freedom to engage in such a wide range of human endeavor. And we do this 
within the boundaries, a love for God. Love for what God has made known about himself. In verse 30, Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God has told us something about himself. He said back in verse 27 that that without that, we would have to grope our way and feel our way toward God and perhaps we might find him. But now God has spoken to us and our calling as believers in the lordship of Jesus is to love what God has made known about himself and that is perfectly consistent with engaging in this vast and varied world with all its wonder and wildness. Now, Jesus' lordship is never going to lead us beyond this boundary of love love for God. So when we talk about freedom to engage this wide range of of human endeavors and cultural pursuits, we're not talking about a license for doing whatever we please. Remember, we aren't the Lord. We aren't the ones who set the parameters for freedom. Jesus is. But Jesus really does give us freedom to bring every area of human endeavor under God's life-giving purposes. There's another freedom we find in this text and really throughout all of Scripture as we see that Jesus is the Lord who's bringing all nations into God's life-giving love. Let's reread verses 26 and 27. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He's the one who determined when and where people would live. I'm paraphrasing the end of verse 26. Why? So that we would seek God, so that we might find him. And he wants us to know that he's not far from each one of us, no matter what nation we come from. That means that as as believers in Jesus, living under his lordship, we have freedom to engage a wide range of people, a wide range of cultures. Earlier we said culture, singular, is everything that humans do to interact with the world and shape it. Cultures are these human groups and associations that have their own distinctive ways of engaging and shaping the world. And because Jesus is the Lord, we have freedom to engage a wide range of cultures and to do that within a set of boundaries. The boundaries, oops, there we go, of love for neighbor. I want to mention just uh, two examples here of what love for neighbor looked like in Paul's message in Athens. The first was integrity. He showed enough love for the people he was speaking to that he had integrity when, he, when it came to talking about common ground. To say honestly where there is common ground between Christian belief and other religions and to say with equal honesty where there's not common ground between Christianity and other religions. So not trying to smooth things over and, and uh, tell less than the truth, but, but also telling the truth in a way that says we do have a lot in common with every human being. 
Every human being has been made by God. Every human being wants life and breath and good things. And, and we can affirm that. Even Paul started off by saying, I can see that in every way you're very religious. That's a good thing. There's common ground. So, for example, he quotes this poem, uh, In Him We Live and Move and Have Our Being. That's from a 6th century poet named Epimenides. And in that poem, uh, the, the author is calling people who, f- who live in Crete liars because they built a tomb for their highest god, Zeus. And so they were suggesting that Zeus was dead. And Epimenides writes this poem saying, No, he's not dead. That's not true. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. And here's Paul saying with integrity, Yeah, I've read that poem. I understand where it comes from. I know the whole background. And I agree that there is a God out there in whom we live. He is living. He's not like a statue made by human hands. He's not dead. Now, we don't have common ground in terms of, is, is that God, the God known as Zeus, who eats his children sometimes? Well, that's a different Greek God, wasn't it? No, it's not that God. So there's an integrity here. There's also empathy. When we engage within the boundaries of love for neighbor, we work hard to try to understand from a perspective that is not our own. The quote that we used at the beginning of this week's worship guide comes from Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Ravi is a Christian brother who passed away just a few days ago, an amazing communicator of good news about Jesus all over the world for decades. And he said in that quote that uh, sometimes we think that in order to preach the gospel the good news about Jesus to someone, we have to destroy everything that holds valuable. And he says, what I am saying is this, is when you're trying to reach someone with good news about Jesus, please be sensitive to what they hold valuable. That's empathy. You see that in Acts chapter 17, as the Apostle Paul doesn't quote these poets out of context. If you read the whole poem, or at least the fragments we can recover, It's clear that he understood what these poets had written in their own terms. And when you hear him talk about groping our way toward God so that we might find him, you don't hear Paul making fun of people and mocking that. Ha ha, God gropers, you're trying to find your way. You never, you don't hear that attitude at all. You hear this heartbreak that says, what would it be like? to spend so much time and energy trying to find God and come up so empty-handed that you would set up an altar saying, we worship an unknown God. We worship a God we do not yet know. How heartbreaking would that be? Let's take a moment now to flesh this out a bit more. What does it look like to engage our culture under the lordship of Jesus using a particular example. The example I have in mind comes to mind because of verse 26. Traditionally, this verse of Acts chapter 17 has been a great comfort in the African-American community. I was not aware of this until a couple of decades ago doing some research 
about servanthood that took me down the path of learning more about slavery in the ancient world and then slavery in the modern world. And I began to come across so many resources that said how much this one verse had meant over the decades and centuries to the African-American community. For many white Americans in the past, the idea of freedom for enslaved people has been scary. And so there was a tendency to rationalize slavery and racism by saying, you know what, this race, this culture is inferior. They are less than. And recently, the tragedy involving Ahmaud Arbery has said to many people in our nation, in our state, in our communities, our city, even in our church, you are less than. You will receive less justice. You will receive less protection under the law. You will receive greater suspicion of wrongdoing just because of who you are. And verse 26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind. It says you are among those whom God has created. It says you are among those for whom Christ has died. Other people may say you are less than. But God says you are loved. No wonder these words have been such a comfort for so many years in the African-American community. See, what we're doing right now is engaging this issue of racism, of justice, of the uh, consequences of slavery, in our own culture. We're engaging the issue in light of Jesus' lordship. And we're doing that by finding freedom within the boundaries of love for God. When we love God, we will love what he has made known about himself. What has he made known about himself? He is the creator of all people and he wants to be known by all people. And that should shape the way we interact with people who are not like us. That should shape the way we mourn and lament and grieve the brokenness of our world. Jesus is bringing all things under God's life-giving rule. He's that kind of life-giving Lord. Does a life-giving Lord want us to live in a world where racism prevails? The answer is clear, no. Does a life-giving Lord want us to live in a world where lives are taken for no reason? without accountability no does a life-giving lord who will one day judge the world in righteousness does he want crimes to go unpunished because of corruption no you see how these boundaries are coming together if we if we engage freedom within the boundaries of love for God, we will be engaging within the boundaries of love for neighbor. The more we love what God has shown about himself in the scriptures, the more we will love our neighbors and the more we will have freedom to engage every area of human endeavor. Current events, history, justice, What's happening in our legal system? What's happening in politics across the centuries? What's happening in politics locally? What's happening in the personal stories of our neighbors? We can engage those things because Jesus is the Lord 
He's bringing everything under the life-giving rule of God. Jesus is bringing all nations into God's life-giving love. Some of you may have been reminded, as I've been speaking today, of a quote by a man named Abraham Kuyper. He was the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. And we're, many of us are familiar with something that he said that runs along the lines of what we see here in Acts chapter 17. He said, There is not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not cry, Mine. Every square inch, not just of the earth. He wasn't talking geographically, right? The whole domain of human existence, every human endeavor, Christ is Lord over all of it, and he says, it is mine. Now we know that, many of us, because we hear about Abraham Kuyper. He was political leader, well-known, prime minister. What we don't know, many of us, you have to read, read underneath the story. Kuyper became a Christian after he became a pastor. He was a pastor. Didn't believe anything that he was teaching or preaching. He was going around visiting the members of his new congregation one day, taking along with him one of the elders of the church. He visited a woman whose husband was a farmer. And uh, he saw a pile of potatoes in the yard as he approached the door and started making small talk. New pastor, not much to talk to about with this woman he doesn't know. And, you know, he, he's this white-collar guy, educated, politically astute, man of the world. She's just a farmer's wife. So he starts talking to her about, you know, the only thing she'll understand, potatoes. Well, has it been a good year? It was a good harvest this year? Oh, that's great. That's nice, isn't it? And she stops him and she says, let's talk about what really matters. That's why you're here, isn't it? Let's talk about having enough comfort to live and die knowing that Jesus is your Lord. He was so taken aback and refreshed by her faith that he came back the next day to talk more with her. Jesus had given that woman freedom. I, I would like to share with you her name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> My Dutch is not so good. Freedom to engage right where he had put her, with earth, with potatoes, with pastors visiting the front door. Jesus is just as interested in those areas of life as he is in political leaders and prime ministers and pastors. We get to ask Jesus every day, how do you want me to bring this part of human existence under your life-giving rule? Not some big part out there that I'll never be able to touch, but right here, right where you have placed me, Right here, in this moment, what's happening in my world, Jesus, it is good to know that you are Lord of all. How do you want me to bring this under your rule? He gives us freedom to ask and answer that question. Let's give thanks to him.
together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for farmers' wives, even those with names difficult to pronounce, who have the courage to speak truth and engage right where you have planted them. We thank you for prime ministers who speak truth about you and apply it to law and to justice and to politics. We thank you that knowing you doesn't mean we have to shut off our brains and pull back and retreat. Give us freedom to engage the world in light of who you really are, the Lord who gives life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.